And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The VanCast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. We've been telling you for a while now, after a road-weary November, the Canucks are at home for most of December, so an opportunity for you to get your hands on tickets. The Leafs in town, Carolina after that, and then a good run of games up until Christmas as well. So make sure you check out Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Vancast to start your week with Drancer. We record here at Rogers Arena where the Canucks were 6-5 winners over the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday. That takes them up to the 30-game mark, so a good chance for us to sort of pull back a couple of feet and just reflect on where this team is as it moves forward with a game against the Leafs on Tuesday. Carolina comes in on Thursday, so a couple more non-conference opponents. And, uh, man, there's a lot to chew on from Saturday's game against the Sabres. Uh, we've seen this uh, sort of blueprint, if you will. I'm not sure it's the ideal blueprint to use uh, moving forward, but the Canucks score. We've talked about that an awful lot. Uh, they score with the best of them in the National Hockey League, but uh, they leave you wanting more defensively. Still, they manage to get out of here with two points against the Sabres because JT Miller absolutely obliterates a water bottle. I've got all the time in the world for that. I'm a sucker for the the ability to slow down, and people have done it, The just the replay as the puck mashes the water bottle, sends the water flying, and JT Miller, basically from the Petter zone, uh, he did his best to Elias Pettersson imitation there. I'm not sure we've seen that shot from JT Miller this year, but uh, it was a big one at a big time for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and, you know, he continues to kind of be Mr. Fix-It, right? 
not only can he fix any line he goes on, but he sets up the Tyler Myers goal with, you know, the play shorthanded. And, I mean, Miller's only played just over 10 minutes shorthanded, right? That's really been a last two weeks sort of thing as a result of some of the injuries, but he's played ably there. Four on three with Horvat sort of in the room after the concussion spotters pulled him, you know, obliterates a water bottle from Pedersen's usual spot. I mean, you know, what can't he do? The only thing he can't do is clone himself, and, and that's unfortunate for the Canucks because they could really use another JT Miller. Yeah, he's up to 13 now, which matches his total from last year in Tampa, and we know it was a down year in a different role, but for a guy to uh, adapt to a new surrounding and a new conference and everything else, I mean, it has gone about as well as he could have hoped, the hockey club could have hoped. I mean, the debate will rage on about uh, the value that they gave up to acquire him, but in the here and now, I mean, this guy really has done everything, as you said, and don't give up on him yet. There's still lots of time. He might be able to find a way to clone himself before the, <laughs> the season. Maybe he's got a brother that could come in and, and play on the second line, whatever the case. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Tyler Myers goal, and I'm glad you did, A, because uh, we've talked about, you know, Tyler Myers has been pretty good for the Vancouver Canucks, but hadn't up until Saturday scored. I loved, I just, I loved the the distance that he covered on that goal uh, starts behind his own goal line and I guess is able to sort of read the play well enough to recognize that there was so much open ice again the Canucks shorthanded and what would it take four or five strides for him to get <laughs> through the neutral zone but he does he skates so well for a big guy and to see him just eat up that much open ice like it was fascinating to watch him gallop uh, from end to end and uh, good for him it took 30 games he admitted afterwards a little longer than he had anticipated to find the back of the net but he does it against his former team and you know it, again that looked in the moment like it was going to be a big goal right a shorthanded goal kind of maybe thought it would be the dagger the Canucks are having trouble finding the dagger to put these teams away. Yeah, the team's defensive play has obviously become a talking point, as has their level of aggression or relative conservatism with the lead, and on and on. In, in the case of Myers, Myers has a really low on-ice shooting percentage, so I wouldn't read too much into that five points, lack of offensive production personally. I also think in a guy, for a guy like Myers, who spent a ton of time on power plays at the NHL level, I mean, sort of quietly, but when Edler was healthy and Godet sort of got onto the second unit, you know, the Canucks were using players like Sven Berchi and Tyler Grayevac in sort of that bumper spot on the power play. And, and Myers was kind of marginalized entirely in five on four situations. Defensemen without five on four play time, they just don't hit 40 points. So what that's going to look like in terms of the Myers conversation vis-a-vis -vis his contract value is, is going to be interesting to see. But I do think there's going to be significant qualifiers just in terms of, you know, if he's a 25-point guy, and that would be a stretch based on five points and 30, but say he gets there, um, you know, or, or even a 20-point guy, I mean, that's not unusual for a guy who doesn't see much power play ice. Like, that is kind of what you'd expect. You, you just don't produce as a defenseman in the NHL consistently. Uh, without power play ice and that's why there's only you know 30 40 point guys in the league right there's only 30 sort of slots on pp1 in the league like it's not a huge shocker or or sort of surprise and, and just something to bear in mind when evaluating myers myers against his former team playing with hughes that pairs up to about 130 minutes now they have been stunning like they've been vancouver's best combo and that's pretty impressive considering the three pairs that the club started the year with are all, you know, 50% plus Corsi 4. I mean, they've all been effective. But when you look at what 
Myers and Hughes have seemed to do, the calibration of that unit, how well they're controlling play, and admittedly is still small sample. You know, you have to wonder once Edler's back if the Canucks coaching staff will look at that maybe as a full-time top pair because based on what we've seen so far, it might be at least worth seeing if they can continue something approximating this form over the next 200 five-on-five minutes. Well, and I want to come back to that in a sec here, but you know, you think of all the talking points to come out of a game like Saturday, overtime win, uh, the concussion spotter, as you mentioned, Antoine Roussel, you know, outdoes himself from the <laughs> debut where he scored on his first shift a minute and 50 seconds in against Ottawa. Guy comes up with two goals on Saturday against Buffalo, Josh Levo, and I will, uh, I'll give you a hat tip here. Like, uh, you've been patient with Levo. I wanted to see more. We're seeing more now. And it was good to see him score in the way that he scored the other day against Buffalo. But, you know, for all these talking points and all the offense and a power play to end it and everything else, like it, it overshadowed what very well may have been Quinn Hughes' best game to this point in the National Hockey League. The team's played 30, he's played 29, he missed the one game in San Jose. And I tweeted it out on Saturday, uh, well after the fact, but it just kind of dawned on me, like it hit me when I got home that, you know, I'm reading recaps and I wrote my own. And, and you know, again, there were so many talking points that it kind of got lost in the shuffle, but he was so good. And that one sequence early in the third when it was three all, and he spun on a dime, probably three times on the same shift, walks out of the corner, had he scored there? Like, that would have been on his Mount Rushmore for his career. Like, 15 years from now, that would have been one of his signature plays. It was just, it was so much fun to watch. It was so cool to watch. And we've seen a ton of it. But I just thought Saturday, again, underneath everything else that was going on around him, he was next level. If you look at that play, too, you know, Josh Levo, for all that I've been patient on him, he didn't expect Hughes to walk out front and fair enough right who expects a defenseman to pull an additional spin move once they've sort of come around switch sides between the two half walls you know so he went down behind the net in order to be a supporting piece to continue the cycle which by the way is the right read for 99 out of 100 NHL defensemen but when Quinn Hughes cut to the front he was still behind the net and he's a right-handed shot if he'd understood and stopped at the net he might have had an easy tap in for the hat trick and you know I do wonder with guys like Hughes who can do such different things if as these sort of supporting pieces on the Canucks get familiar with it learn to read them a little bit better if that's sort of a read he might make differently the next time it happens just because he's like oh Quinn might get to the front here right and and that sort of changes how guys play just like how you know a guy like Chris Tanev eventually learned that, oh, if I just throw this back down low, like this, the Twins are going to win the battle and, and come out with the puck and we'll have possession for 45 more seconds, right? Like, But Hughes and Pedersen are both now at this point where they occasionally do things that don't just stun the crowd and bring gasps out of the Rogers Arena faithful, but they do things that literally defy the expectations of their teammates sometimes. And, you know, what's sort of exciting interesting going to be fun to watch for Canucks fans over the ensuing three four years is as sort of those pieces like you know you think about a guy like Mikhail Samuelson and what he learned to do with the twins or obviously Alex Burroughs and you know on and on there's going to be some players who really figure out how to get the most out of you know Patterson Hughes the some sort of some of these blue chip young talents that the Canucks have and, and I think that's kind of just to bring this back around to JT Miller right I think that's kind of one thing that's sort of interesting or or been you know a key to his success is just the way that he's immediately figured out how to complement 
Pedersen and Besser, right, has been pretty significant because it's not like that line has just gone off with whomever they've been given, right? We've seen Josh Levo, we've seen Tanner Pearson, like we've seen forwards sort of get a chance there, uh, Jake Vertanen too. Uh, and, you know, whether it's that the club's defensive play falls off or their two-way ability falls off or they're just not generating the same level of chances as they are with Miller, like we've seen consistently that the effect Miller has on that group is, you know, levels above anyone else and, and you know, whether you want to credit Canucks pro scouting or, or credit Miller himself, like there's clearly something there in terms of his abilities in transition, defensive abilities, abilities to take face-offs, you know, win puck battles that is really sort of, the, the Canucks have found something there, found something really powerful. And I think it's a big reason why, you know, there's still a, long, a lot of road to run. There's still, you know, the, the Canucks are roughly an average club in, in the NHL, in NHL terms. And that's, you know, a, a fringe playoff team. Like, they are who we thought they were. But if there's sort of one reason why you should, or we and, and our listeners should sort of feel different about this version of the club and, and their chances over the long haul of the NHL season, it's that this first line is super elite in NHL terms. And that's a huge sort of quiver in your, or arrow in your quiver to have going into sort of a 52-game stretch run leading up to uh, to the playoffs. I don't know if you're a guy that, you know, projects out at the start of a season, but like JT Miller's 15th in league scoring. He's tied with Nikita Kucherov as we sit here and record this. He's tied with Alex Ovechkin. You know, he's second behind Pedersen, but he's closed that gap that now there's a derby to lead the Vancouver Canucks in scoring. And and that's not, you know, Pedersen has slowed a little bit. I think he's got eight points in his last eight games. Like, he's on a pointing game pace, but JT Miller just continues to rise up. You know, I mentioned earlier, like, he's, he's matched the 13 goals that he scored in 75 games in Tampa last year. And he knew it was an offseason, I think most people around hockey realized that he was better in terms of, you know, absolute takeaway numbers at the end of the season. So I'm not surprised that he's going to eclipse last year's total. I guess I am a little surprised that it happened in 30. But like, did you have numbers in mind that would have in your head, you know, made? No, and look, the, the debate's going to go on for a long time about the trade itself. But just in terms of the player that arrived on the scene, getting the opportunity he was going to get here, like, did you have numbers in mind that would have made this a successful season for JT Miller? You know, I, I, I don't. Like, I don't typically sort of look at that. The internal logic for me of the Miller trade suggests that the Canucks, for it to be considered a success, the Canucks cannot give up a lottery pick in order for, you know, the, the deal to be viewed at as a win. I mean, JT Miller could be a 75-point guy, but if the Canucks miss the playoffs this year and next and they're hand, handing over a, a pick with the potential to be a top three to the Tampa Bay Lightning, even if it's low odds, I mean, I think that's always going to be sort of the barometer that I sort of weight more heavily. But I think there's no question that Miller has exceeded all expectations. And, and I brought up Samuelson earlier in this uh, podcast, but that's sort of something, a name that kind of sticks in my mind when I think about Miller. And it's because of the analogy, for me anyway, that like Samuelson came to the Canucks in the summer of 2009, right? And he was a third liner on this great Detroit Red Wings team, just as JT Miller was a depth player on this great Tampa Bay Lightning team. And whether he'd, you know, all of a sudden getting more minutes, you know, he had this sort of winning pedigree, this good organizational sort of know-how, right? That, that I think Miller similarly has, having come from two winning teams in the Rangers and the Lightning. And he was just a perfect compliment. And I, I just, I can't sort of shake that when I look at what Miller's brought to the Canucks. Like I think his impact in the room, how often he speaks, how 
well regarded he seems to be among the players and, and obviously coaches and then just his versatility his ability to fix anything the Canucks need you know it's um, I mean for me it's probably up there with sort of Pedersen's evolution and, and Hughes's unbelievable rookie impact is like the story of the season for the Canucks so far like JT Miller's emergence as one of the NHL's best forwards like that's not something I had any anticipation of so while I didn't sort of project bottom line numbers I think it's obvious to say that JT Miller's blown any reasonable expectations even any unreasonable expectations completely out of the water when you say that the Canucks are who we thought they were going to be and and they're an average hockey club and they are I mean they're right there some days they're above the playoff bar some days they're not but they're in the mix at the 30 game mark like, are you at all surprised? I, I, I will say I am surprised. I, I think I thought that they would have stayed in the mix with a lot better defense and a little less scoring. Like, I am surprised at the rate which with they, you know, 24 goals in the last five games. Like, they went out on that road trip, one in Dallas, one in Washington, one in Philly, and we were asking those questions. You know, where's the five-on-five scoring? Where's the support scoring? And I don't know if it was as simple as saying, look, they lost 8-6 in Pittsburgh in a, an unforgivable loss the way it played out, but it did seem to unlock some of that secondary scoring. And now they've got guys that are feeling it again. And we mentioned Levo. And, and what, what excites me about Josh Levo is when they made the trade for Levo, you know, he was a guy that wasn't getting an opportunity in Toronto, but people felt that he had legitimate NHL skills, and one of them was a big-time shot. And we really had, like, yeah, he had had shot volume, but I don't know that he'd had a lot of looks like he had the other day against Buffalo. And you think about his goals recently, a wraparound in Edmonton that maybe just took some of the weight off, a rebound goal as well. But when I think of Josh Levo, I think of the guy that scored the kinds of goals, not just one, but both the other day against the Sabres. Yeah, and you know, the five-on-five regression has come for Bo Horvat too, right? Who has, I think it's eight even strength points in his last 11 now. So he's, uh, he's feasting also. And, you know, that's important for the Canucks. I mean, he still only has two goals at even strength this season. So um, still some distance to sort of cover there. But overall, you know, I think the, to answer your question, here's what surprised me about the Canucks, I guess, is I, I am surprised by the extent to which their offense is high end. I don't think I really seriously entertained that until after the San Jose game when I sort of wrote that I thought they might be an elite offense and then they of course dried up <laughs> in terms of the bounces for three weeks and made me made my collar quite tight. But you know, the the some of those metrics that led me to predict that the Canucks would be in a high end offensive team have kind of fallen off a little bit. I still think they're probably a top ten, maybe a little bit better just because that first power play unit's so dynamic. Um, but you know, I, I think they'll they'll be somewhere in the sort of five to ten range in terms of overall offensive production this year. And and that is a little bit of a surprise. I didn't expect the offense to be that good this quickly. But where I think they've sort of met my expectations is I expected this team to be better and significantly better. And the leap from, you know, a, a, a bad team that overachieved, like that overachieved to get to 81 points, right? The gap between that and being a fringe playoff team is not insignificant. Now that said, the gap between the gap that the Canucks have leapt over to make themselves a fringe playoff team, an incredible fringe playoff team, not one that's sort of a mirage and artificial and likely to fall off over the next 52, which is what I think they are. I think this is a team with a credible shot. But 
the gap between the gap to now move up from that to being a contending team like that's actually the harder jump to make and it took the Canucks four years to get here you know sort of that next leap I mean they're gonna have to do it a little more quickly because they've got some young pieces who are gonna get pretty expensive here so it'd be fascinating to watch that play out in the short term and over the balance of the season I think the Canucks are you know kind of in that low 90s point range and it's going to be a bounce here or two it's going to be the power play staying you know hot it's going to be the goaltending them getting maybe slightly better than the average goaltending they've received so far that's sort of going to make the difference for this club and and you know those are narrow margins like this is going to be a, a knife fight even in a relatively weaker pacific division oh knife fight drink um <laughs> so you know Every game is going to matter here a ton, and, and that's especially true this week with two really good teams, Toronto and Carolina. These are fast teams. The Canucks don't have Alex Edler, right? They played Ben and Tanev as a pair against Buffalo. They didn't have their strongest game. There's not really a transporter on that pair, and, you know, I think that costs the Canucks. So we'll see how their defense holds up against two of the more dynamic offensive clubs and whether they can continue to fill the net at the right necessary or alternatively tighten up that defensive game because one of the two is going to happen and, and based on how Vancouver's team defense has performed like they've needed these goals right they needed all six against Buffalo and you know that's sort of a tough if you have that high baseline like you need that production and the Canucks are going to need to figure out how to get more out of their top six I think and and how to tighten up their defense just enough that they don't really need those four goals every game to win um, if they're going to sort of you know, continue this form and, and actually challenge credibly for one of the top three slots in the Pacific or a wild card spot. See, this is why I like podcasting with you, because I was thinking, how am I going to transition into telling the people about DoorDash, but then you provide the drinking game, so people now have uh, reason to drink, and you can't just drink, you got to have something to eat with your, your drink as well. Uh, look, your parents don't pack your lunches anymore, but you still need to eat. Have your favorite restaurants brought to you with DoorDash. Brown paper bag not included. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code CANUCKS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code CANUCKS. Don't forget, the promo code is CANUCKS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. All right, I get lots of people asking me, you probably do as well. What do the Canucks do when Brandon Sutter is deemed completely healthy? And I mean, it's sort of a multi-layered question here because one is the roster spot. They sent Mike DiPietro back down to Utica. So as we record this, they're sitting at 22. So they've got a spot on the roster for Brandon Sutter. That's the easy part. Then it gets a little more complicated in, term of, in terms of cap compliance, but also where do you play them and who comes out? Yeah, so with DiPietro going down, the Canucks can actually activate Sutter now with Grayevac and Mott going on to LTI. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how an 800K salary matters so much to the Canucks at this juncture of the season, but it really does. Like, this is a team that is, you know, should Grayovac and Mott, two guys who total 1.5 million, go go on LTI, and the Canucks reactivate Sutter, they will be cap compliant by like $200,000, right? Which is you know just an just an infinitesimally small amount 
um, in terms of daily space, right? Like this is a team that is right up against it. And an injury to a guy like Edler, you know, like that's the other thing here, right? You activate Sutter, but if you get one more forward injury, like you are one more forward injury that doesn't qualify for LTI, like you're going to be sweating again, right? This is a team that's going to be sweating it and sort of living day to day vis-a-vis the cap, the balance of the season. And to this point, they've done pretty well, right? They've never been short. They've been able to keep an extra defender up here. They've been able to keep an extra forward up here. You know, this hasn't been a 21 guys on the roster situation yet to this point this season. It's possible, but it's going to take some really bad injury luck. In terms of where you play him, I mean, I don't know that Canucks coaches would have an appetite to divvy up that third line right now. I mean, obviously the the getting is good at the moment. They look fast. They look like they're having fun and they're scoring a ton. So, I, I mean, I don't know that you'd insert Sutter there as productive as he was, you know, through through his um, through the part of the season prior to his injury. Would you put him on the right wing and find a spot for Furland? I mean, I, I don't of, of the fourth line. I mean, I'm not exactly sure. Um, sort of where he gets in here. You might end up doing some load management too, I wonder, with, with Jay Beagle and Sutter. Uh, obviously, both seem to have you know, lower body or core type injuries. Might benefit from playing a, a softer workload. Can you, can you sort of sub them in and have a $7.5 million fourth line center in the aggregate? I mean, not an ideal situation vis-a-vis you know, efficiency, but uh, vis-a-vis is going to become a drinking sort of word now. That's all right. I'm, I'm thirsty. <laughs> so, you know, is that going to be sort of an option here? I mean, I, I, I suspect they'll consider it because, you know, you're right. In, in, unless something gives, um, the Canucks have this massive logjam. The fact that the third and the second line both played really well against Buffalo and have played really well, I think would make Vancouver's coaches reluctant to change it. And sort of the only reason they might is if you sort of think you need a little bit more defensive solidity on that third line, maybe you take Jake out of the lineup for Sutter, but I don't think the Canucks have any appetite to healthy scratch for Tannen. He's obviously got six points in his last five games, and you know there's a variety of sort of bigger picture concerns there. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this shakes out. What about the optics? And I know the optics don't come into play for Travis Green. His job is to try to put the best lineup that he believes uh, on the ice on a given night. But if Jay Beagle is a healthy scratch, I mean, this is year two of a four-year deal. A lot of people will point their fingers and say, really, it's come to that you know, before Christmas in the second year of this contract. This player is now a healthy scratch. And I think the same thing goes for Michael Furland. If Furland was a guy that was to come out, I mean, just back from injury, my sense is they want to get him up and running here and get him some games, so I don't see Furland necessarily as an option to come out of the lineup. And you know where this is going then? Uh, our bubblegum bet that we haven't really checked in on in a while because nothing's changed there. I mean, sitting at four goals still before the midway mark, but you know, really through no fault of his own, is Tim Schaller a candidate for coming out of the lineup? And then you have to look at their roles within special teams and you know, Beagle and Schaller have sort of been that top penalty-killing unit. So it is somewhat complex. Like, it's not as easy as just, oh, let's get Brandon Sutter back in there. I mean, I do think that there are a number of factors at play, but what about the optics of parking Jay Beagle if that's what it comes to? I think the only way they'd do it anyway is if it's a load management sort of decision, and I suspect they'd just be very proactive about messaging that. Sort of the opposite of the Ole Olevi sort of injury update 
um, you know, as they as they handled that one. So, you know, I, I think that's that's the only way that I see Beagle coming out of the lineup. And as for as for Tim Schaller, my answer like to to go completely anti Buzzfeed here, like my answer will not surprise you. <laughs> they should not take Tim Schaller out of the lineup. Tim Schaller, you know, underlying metrics wise, right? When you evaluate shorthanded players, you always have to be really careful because generally speaking, the player who starts the shorthanded shift gets buried by the underlying metrics because guess what they're playing pp1 and the and the unit that quick shifts after the draws one and the sort of play is broken and they come on and they get a chance to forecheck and on and on they often have sparkling sort of shot shots against rates and on and on tim schaller has been the guy who's you know starts nearly every pk shift for the canucks he also has far and away the lowest shots against rate of Canucks penalty killers who played more than 25 minutes this season. Like he is far and away their best penalty killer, and I suspect that you know a PK that has been fine, but certainly hasn't been a strength of this club. You know, at least not since the 10 game mark. I don't think you can afford to to lose that personally. I don't think the Canucks coaches will feel like they can afford to lose that. I would be stunned for Tim Schaller to come out. But that said, you know. Could you go Beagle, Furlan, Sutter while the third line is still clicking and sort of roll with that for a bit, maybe? Um, you know, and, and this remains sort of why every time we've done the podcast for the last week, like I've been talking about having my antenna raised. Uh, you know, I still think that there's a pretty clear log jam here and, you know, something that maybe could be relaxed were the Canucks to find a willing partner. Uh, obviously, you could... you imagine their their priority would be to upgrade that second line uh get a get a top six winger that might not even be possible would you accept futures to to rid yourself of a salary and a surplus piece i mean i'd be curious to sort of see what do the discussions look like on that you know in the in the office tower off griffith's way but but i suspect you know whether whether there's an appetite for that or not uh you'd think it would make sense just based on the cap concerns the body concerns and, and some of the other sort of small um, small and large issues that Vancouver management's dealing with at the moment. All right, practice about to start here as we wrap things up. Uh, the early week van cast, and we'll get another one for you later in the week. Again, the Leafs in town. Carolina comes calling on Thursday. And look, for the longest time, Leafs, it was always that issue of 4 o'clock Saturday. Oh, they're playing into the hands of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Eastern media and everything. Look, don't have to worry about that. It's a Tuesday night, which in itself represents a marked departure. I think Hockey Night wants the Matthews McDavid marquee, and you get that on Saturday. So the Leafs start this portion. They were in St. Louis. Good win by them, by the way, in St. Louis the other day. So, um, but it's always fun. Like, it's always fun. I know you've been out of market for a few years, but it's always an event when the Leafs come to town. It's always an event when the Leafs come to any town, right? That's the the the, the mighty blue and white, <laughs> right? They're uh, the center of the hockey universe. Hey, look, I, my favorite thing about the idea of a Canucks-Leafs tilt, right, is these are two teams that are essentially going point for point this season, but the perception around them like could not be more different, right? Jim vindicated by by 32-point team, right? Um, did the Leafs screw up by letting Lou Lamorello go? because the Leafs are a 32-point team, right? Like, the the drug that is expectations shows so clearly when these two hockey-mad markets sort of play. I mean, these teams have been equal to this point in the season, but the conversation around the Canucks is, 
you know, every day is a snow day. The conversation around the Leafs is every day, everything is burning at all times. And I just find it fascinating. Look, the Leafs have been too permissive defensively. Like, you think the Canucks have been too permissive defensively? The Leafs have been way more permissive defensively, and that is an issue. But I still think this is a team that's going to sort things out. They have too much talent. They are too dynamic. They are too fast. And when they actually get things going, it sometimes looks like they're playing a different sport. Uh, you know, it should be a track meet at Rogers Arena on Tuesday night. I'm excited to watch it. I think the Leafs always play exciting hockey, and we'll get to see Mitch Marner now that he's back too. Always good fun. Should be an interesting test for a Canucks team that has struggled defensively because regardless of what you think of the Leafs this season, they remain very good at controlling play, and they remain the NHL's ultimate track meet club. If you want a little bit of a Leafs primer, we should direct you to the Leaf Report with Myrtle and Jonas Siegel. I imagine Jonas will be in town. I don't think Myrtle's making the trip out. He is making the trip yeah. out. Oh, wow. All right. Well, Drinking with him tonight. Not, not ordering DoorDash, but we might get it later. <laughs> well, if you side-eye him in a knife in a knife fight vis-a-vis -vis whatever else, uh, the drinking may carry on long into the night. Hey, please rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click the show URL, which is theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And when you subscribe to The Athletic, you'll get to hear the bonus episode of the VanCast each week. Looking forward to it. The Canucks and the Leafs. Canucks trying to make it three in a row over Eastern Conference opponents after wins against Ottawa and Buffalo on the weekend. Toronto coming up on Tuesday night. For Drancer, it's Jay Pat. As always, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.